Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. And today my guest is Craig Chester, my old friend. He is a writer and a director and an actor. And his movie, Adam and Steve, is having an 18th anniversary screening on Thursday, August 31st in Palm Springs. So when I saw him post about that on Facebook, I'm like, oh, this is a great chance to have him on the podcast, talk about the screening, talk about all that he's been up to, talk about our past um, experiences together. We worked on the Big A Sketch Show together. The third season is writers. Craig helped me get that job, and it was a blast. And as an actor, he's appeared in classic films like Swoon and Grief and Frisk. And as a writer, he's worked on shows like True Blood, the Netflix show Insatiable. Um, So he's a multi-talented guy. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that this podcast, Dennis Anyone, is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. The car, no, it's not. It's not bought right, right, there's no sponsors. It's me, I do it, Um, but I love it. So if you want to support it and and, uh, help me out a little bit, help me cover the expenses, you can go to dennisanyone.net and donate to my virtual tip jar. Um, You could also consider becoming a subscriber to DNR Studios. I'm part of a group of shows under the DNR banner, and for a monthly subscription fee, you get my show early, and you get all these other great shows. So you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here's the interview with Craig Chester. Joining me now from Palm Springs, it's actor, writer, director, multi-hyphenate, Craig Chester. Hi, Craig Chester. Yay, hi. Don't forget Dancer. Dancer, you're, you, first of all, we're here because you're doing an 18th anniversary screening of Adam and Steve, and I watched yes. the movie again, and that dance number knocked my socks off. I remember it being good, but it's really Aww. good. Like, Thank and you. you're, well, you're a dancer too. But you're, you're real really dancer. good. You, well, you're. They're not cutting around the actor that can't quite dance. You're killing it. <laughs> and I didn't my, do the backflips. Yeah. My question is, yeah, but backflips. I never did backflips, and I was a dancer. And when you would go audition, they were like, if they wanted tumbling, you were like, fuck, I'm fucked. Like that's a story. <laughs> so. Don't beat yourself up over the backflips. Okay. That dance number looked like it took a ton of work. Um, I, yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't supposed to direct the movie. There was another director attached. And I, I was going to, and I had to step in like last second to direct. So I wrote the script and I was playing Adam. And so I, and there was this huge crazy dance number that I was doing that I, that I was already in rehearsal for. And then I had to like, I, I remember when we shot that day, it was so hard. And my friend Dustin, who was like the first AD, was like, after every take, he'd be like, relax your mouth. Because every single shot, if you looked at my face, I was like, an, it was in so much stress and tension. And um, and when it was over, we went out for dinner afterwards. Parker Posey and, and Dustin and I went out for dinner. And I sat in the restaurant and I cried. Wow. I broke down and cried. It was the first time I, I like, and finally all the pressure of making the movie got to me. And I sat in front of like a chicken fried steak and I like, just sat down. I just put my fork down and cried in front of him. Wow. And let me cry. And First of all, over. you did all that number in one day? Because it's elaborate. One day. One day. Yeah. And the choreography is good. Who choreographed it? Troy Christian is amazing. He's brilliant. I mean, he, he, is, he is why that is so good. It's so um, he is good. so talented. Yeah. You're yeah. doing those corkscrew lifts where you're, <laughs> the guy's throwing you around and yeah. you look so good. And yeah, Thank the you. dance number is a knockout. Um, it's a country and Western themed uh, dance set in a gay country bar, which was my scene at the time. So I was happy to see it. And it's, it, it's like a real highlight of the movie. So um, you're talking about writing a sequel. Is that right? And if, if there is, there better be a dance number. <laughs> we are writing one. There's one. Um, I'm working with Malcolm Getz on it actually right now. 
He's coming out like a little bit early. We're going to work on it while, while he's here. It's called Adam and Steve 35 plus. It's basically the same characters now. Um, Melinda, Melinda Dillon is in the first movie. She passed away recently. She played Malcolm's mom, Steve's mom. Yeah. She's, she was so incredible. I'm such a fan of hers when I got to work with her. And, um, so the, the plot revolves her. She leaves them in like this house in Palm Springs and they move out here to Palm Springs. And it takes place here in a 55 plus gay retirement community, which is where I live. So it's very, um, yeah. It's very, it's, it's very of the moment. True to life. Yeah. When I think of Adam and Steve, before having watched it again recently this week, the thing that I always remember is there's a, there's a line that your character says in this confrontation in Times Square where you say something to the effect of, we're in our, th- our 30s, of course we're damaged. And I'm like, <laughs> in our 30s? Like, there's so much more damage now, right? And Oh my God, it's like... Samsonite baggage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is? <laughs> what do you think when you look at the movie now? Does it feel like a million years ago, or does it feel like last week? I haven't seen it. I'm going to be seeing it on the 31st for the first time in probably like 10 or 15 years. I, I haven't watched it. I don't like to watch myself on screen. I get very neurotic. So I'm going to be watching it with everyone else. So I don't know. I, I imagine that like it probably feels when I love, I've been talking to Malcolm. Like we zoom a lot, and whenever I talk to him, it feels like yesterday. So when I'm with the other actors, like Chris Kattan. And, we were chatting recently. It just feels like that feels, that's when it feels like really recent with the, uh, when I talked to the people that worked on the movie and Kirkland, the producer. And yeah. How soon? I don't, I don't know if it's, it might be dated now. I don't know if it's dated. Well, I, I watched it and I was like, oh, that wouldn't happen now, but that was still resonant. Like there's gay bashing that happens in the movie in a kind know, of funny and, way. And I'm like, boy, that's more relevant than ever. Sad. And you know what, you know what also Adam is, I realized this recently, Adam and Steve reconnected like modern times due to like a, a shooter incident in yeah. Central Park. There's like a guy with a gun shooting at ducks or something. And yeah. Or survivalist guy. So like I, I was ahead of my time. What can I say? Well, they're played for sort of laughs. Cause, and now we had no idea how <laughs> serious all of this stuff would get. That's what was sort of interesting yeah. about it. But the love story at the beginning, at the heart of it, I thought still was really resonant because it's this idea that we're, that some people have, whether you're gay or straight or, or anywhere along that, uh, that spectrum, that, that you're too damaged for love or you're too, you're damaged goods. There's, there, you can't have right. love because you're just too messed up. And I think a lot of people will relate to that. And I think your movie mm-hmm. argues that's not true. That was the original title. <clears throat> it was Damaged Goods, actually. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was like the, when we shot in New York, we shot the exteriors in New York, and it was Damaged um, damage Goods. It was on the platform, actually. Oh, wow. Um, um, yeah. How many days ahead of time did you know you were directing? How soon did you have to shift gears? Um, <laughs> do you, rem- do you two, remember? Two or, two or three weeks, maybe. Okay, wow. It was, we were in pre-production. It was, it was barreling along, so... Um, I, I just, you know, and I, 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 just, I went out with John Cameron Mitchell and I, he took me out to dinner to sort of give me like a pep talk because of headwind. Yeah. And he was like, he just was like, get ready. This is going to be so hard. Because we, when you shoot a movie in 23 days, 20, whatever days we shot it in, and it was very ambitious. It was a lot of locations. Um, there was the dance number. There was like a whole flashback sequence in the eighties and like makeup and hair and, and Parker's in a fat suit. It was a lot of technical stuff, but I, I mean, I, because I wrote the script, I was able to sort of like, just, you know, I, I, it did serve me because I wrote it. I saw it was in my head and the opening sequence of the movie, like in the eighties, like the sequence with Malcolm where we're in the eighties and we're doing Coke and, and the horrible thing that happens between him and me and my apartments with right. the dog, the puppy, that, that actually of everything I've ever written 
that was that literally turned out exactly the way I saw it in my head, which which never never happens when you're a writer. You hope that'll happen, and then right. when it does, it's just like so amazing. But like that was the only time that ever happened. But but yeah, you just have to learn. And I had amazing actors who like we all sort of directed the movie together. I mean, I was not I'm not a good director. Like I'm, I'm not not that good at it. So I'm too codependent. I'm too much of a people pleaser. Like I don't want everybody to be okay. And um and uh so you know we all did it together like people and i was with, with such talented experienced actors that they sort of like held their own i just turned the camera on so um watching it again chris Catan is really winning i really he's I, so I, good i, I, I felt know for him watching it because i know like he, he he's had his ups and downs and i saw him on dancing with the stars and stuff like that and he's really winning in it and i was like oh yes he's so the, none of the movie would not work without him or Parker or Malcolm, it's the casting was so important to that, to making that work. Cause we did all these stage readings of the script, like for months before a year before and had all these different actors in different roles. And at one point, like Margot Kidder was my mom, all these different people. And then when Parker and Chris were together one night and me and Malcolm read together and it was just like, that was the night at all. Just kind of like there was chemistry in it and it was totally, it fit. But Chris Catan is like one of my favorite people. I love him. He's such, got such a good heart. He's so funny and so he's he's on tour right now doing stand up. I just saw his thing on Instagram. He's really really such a and he's so good in the movie. He's so funny and it, just him and Malcolm are so weird together. And um, but yeah, it's great. He's great. I love him. I interviewed Julie Haggerty a few months ago, or almost a year oh, ago yeah. actually, and I asked her what's the weirdest thing you've ever had to wear for a job, and she mentioned. The brace from Adam and Steve. <laughs> she mentioned it very fondly, but that was the thing that came up because oh, she plays your mother, her. and she's yeah, yeah, she's accident prone. Yeah, she's accident, accident prone, prone, and she's in a brace. <laughs> the biggest laugh I had watching it this time is you say something in the hospital. You're like, "I that's it. I'm just cursed. I'm cursed." And you're and somebody's like, "You're not cursed." And you sit on a chair. It breaks. It's such a dumb joke. And it made me howl with laughter because you're little, you just fall over. It's just very, it's, it's just I mean, like I love, me I love a good, I love a good crack ball. What can I say? Yeah. I mean, it's good because I, in life, in real life, I'm extremely klutzy. So it comes in handy. Um, you and Malcolm look really good in the movie. And you could tell oh. you're like working out. But I was thinking, shit, if you're in a gay rom com, you got to fucking look good. And he's directing. You must have been oh like God, that's so weird. You're so weird. You said that. I thought about that so much. I was because I'm an actor. All you're I mean, thinking of no, you're a fucking gay rom com. I gotta look my fucking best. And, I was, and I was I'm so, directing. I was I can't believe you said that because it's so that was so my headspace. I like, need four hours of tanning about, time built I, exactly. in. <laughs> I was so I was more worried about like looking tired on camera than like yes. now I just want to look like I just want to be recognizable. I mean that's what I'm going for now. <laughs> Jesus. recognizable just, is the goal just aiming for recognizable yeah. yeah but back then i cared about dark circles and stuff like that well yeah, yeah. um your romance <laughs> is really sweet in it you guys together um and you've stayed friends yeah. obviously talk about your yeah. connection with malcolm i it's like past life or something we i have like such a strong like i would give him a kidney like i would take a bullet for him i there's something about him that I, I just feel so, he's so easy to love. First of all, he's so cute and adorable and so sweet and sympathetic and, and smart and sexy. And like all these, he's just like, so it was so easy, but like, he's also just like, he's a very, he's a real actor. You know, he's really, he has a really high standards. He's, he's, he's like from the theater, you know, he's just like, he's a, a certain breed of actor that I just love. And it's sort of rare. And, um, and we just, when I first met him, I, I wrote the part. I, was, I had the script already written, and then I, when I met him, I was sitting across from him in a room, and I thought, 
huh, like maybe, and I was like, would you be just reading with me this stupid game that I wrote? And he was like, well, let me read it. And he, it works because he has such gravitas as a person. He's such a deep, soulful guy that the movie needed that. He's the romance you're talking about, like the heart of it is really just from him. It's not, it's not me. I'm just like thinking about my under eye circles. <laughs> no, you guys are great <laughs> together. Does yeah, he still have you. that head of hair? He's got glory. I would write in like, and Adam touches Steve's hair or maybe you're Steve. I can't well, more and more importantly, he still has his tits. So yes. that's, he still has his tits before we would do every, every, <laughs> when we have to do like the sex scene or shirtless scene, we'd both be off camera. I don't, you know, if they're outtakes of this, but we're both off camera doing push-ups before every take, like, <gasps> like doing push-ups because we're like 40 years old yeah. in a movie, like gay romantic comedy. Yeah. We're like both, he's 42 and I'm 39. Yeah. So yeah, it was a lot of that. Uh, yeah. it's, that's very bros. And speaking of which, the reason <laughs> I know about this screening is you posted on Facebook um, something about, you know, before bros became the first gay rom-com, <laughs> Um, yeah. here's, uh, you and I and Billy Eichner and Alec Holland were writers on the big gay sketch show in 2009. Yes. And I got that job because of you. And I loved that job. And I'm so grateful cause I loved that experience, oh. but we were in that office together and Billy and I were the new writers yep. and you posted a picture, uh, and then tied it into your movie. Um, you know, cause bros was acting like no one had ever done this before in their marketing <laughs> And I don't, I don't know, I don't begrudge that to anybody, but they were acting like it was the most novel thing. And I was like thinking of all the people that I know and all the gay movies that I have seen. Granted, this is the first time Universal's doing it and the Apatow of it all, but it was kind of like, they didn't invent this. Did that bug you? Yeah. Um, It didn't bug me. I didn't even think about it until other people pointed it out, actually. It didn't, like someone else said like, hey, Adam and Steve... And then I was like, oh, right, you're right. This is, that's usually how I'm in life. Like, I usually don't feel offended until right. someone points out I should, I should be. No, that's better. But, um, that's better. Yeah, I think so. But, um, but he, I mean, I just thought like, cause Billy, like Billy and I were friends. Like we, we hung out when he yeah. came to LA, he stayed with me his first trip to LA. He didn't have a license. I drove him around to meetings. Um, we were together when Michael Jackson died, which is, you know. Oh, wow. We spent the whole day like watching CNN. And so, I mean, I know Billy, and, and I, I know he didn't like Adam and Steve. He used to make fun of it. I'm a big gay sketcher. I remember he's, he would totally like make fun of it. And, and, I, and, I, and so, you know, that's fine. But I did feel like at one point he could have said, like, just once. Like, there was this movie by this guy, Greg Jester, that I worked with on Big Gay Sketch. I just, it was more just like, it wasn't that I, I just felt like there should be, like, something, you know, like the acknowledgement that we worked together and that I made this movie that was very similar to this movie. That was, at that time, very much about, the culture at that time and he's making a movie about the gay cult the culture yeah. about now like well it's very similar they're good they're good like they're like a good double feature you know so it just seemed like just on paper it would be like makes sense but he didn't but he never did it so yeah it's fine and that picture I, yeah it's fine. and you and malcolm were both out at the time which was a bigger deal then than it is now um we were openly gay we were both openly gay and that was something i remember the advocate was going to do uh, put us on the cover and they decided to do another Brokeback Mountain cover the third, I think. And I, I remember being really upset and fighting with my friend, who was the, the editor, because I was like, for that reason, I'm like, we're two openly gay actors, like in a movie that's, we had an opening weekend, we opened in 13 different cities on a Friday. It was like, you know, kind of like a good distribution. And, and just getting a gay movie to get distribution at all is such a big deal, but let right. alone like, you know, with 13 city opening. And so it just felt like, you know, the movie's silly. It's not like a critical, critical darling. It's it's silly and, and dumb and 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 funny and smart at times, but it was never meant to be. You know, I mean, I 
I didn't think it would be the thing that would survive, like that would be like one of my surviving children. You never know when you're working on something if it's going to if it's going to stand the test of streaming. Yeah, <laughs> like is it going to jump over like to like YouTube and and uh, so it's nice. I'm glad that 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 one did survive and it's having like a little bit of a comeback. So well, I good. watched it on Tubi. And Tubi, you can watch stuff for free. I'd never been on Tubi before. And it is a treasure trove of LGBTQ movies. Tubi's great. I went through and clicked watch list, watch list, watch list. So if you're listening to this, you can watch Adam and Steve on Tubi and all kinds of other things. Um, Which comes with your Roku and everything. It's on Roku. And I did it through the Fire Stick that I have with the Amazon. I don't know. I can't understand all of it. Um, You worked on a streaming show. Am Am I... did you work on a, a Netflix show? Um, I worked on I worked on um, a show called Insatiable. Right, I saw that on Netflix your IMD, yeah. IMDb, and you. But you also worked worked as a writer on True Blood and other shows. I, do you have a take on what's different as a writer working on a streaming show? I'm asking this in uh, because of the strike. Obviously, do you have a sense of how different it was and the residual checks of it all, or do, do you feel like well, you yeah, got enough I, of a I, taste I, to have a uh, well, I take on I it. ran out of mo- I ran out of money, so there's that was you know that was a little bit of a taste. I yeah, the money at some point, um, <laughs> right? You know, just I mean, I get my my you know, I get my I'm such a, I am like Mr. WGA like poster boy because I live I live off my WGA pension now. Yeah, that's what I live off. I took it out early, and um, you know, which is great. I love it, but that union is like that and SAG. But I'm more of like a writer's guild person. I made most of my money writing for television. It's very. Um, I really believe in the cause. Like we were working on True Blood. This guy came, a WGA rep came into our office in the writer's room and, and sat us down and talked about streaming and how it was like coming on the horizon and, and the whole like issue around residuals and streaming and how Netflix doesn't, you know, we talked about Netflix doesn't advertise their ratings and you never really know if you're do, if doing well. Right. So we, so I, um, that was in 2013 and it's like, it's been, it's way overdue this, this strike. It's really overdue because you know, I get like the, it's, I should be, I should be making more money based on what I've, what I've done in residuals. It's just really hard to, you know, to like, you know, do you get residuals stuff. at all from insatiable? The, the show that you, I do, I get for my, I, for my script fee for like, yeah. I wrote episode three. So like I get for the first season. So I'll get like a, a check for that like once a year, Yeah, but it's, it's, it's like not, not much, so. but it's not nothing compared to what, you know, the, the other stuff that you No, had. no. In the old days, I mean, this is, this is the residuals were how people retired. Yeah. Cause you always wonder like, how does Lonnie Anderson live? Like people yeah. like that. I think that and all the time. How, and that might be how. the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's how she could see yeah. on a network show and yeah um but your your post about um big a sketch show and then you included the wider shot with me and billy in that office and the walls are these ugly colors and there we had a painting party i don't know if you came to it i don't i i was i, think, I was a big part of it i was yeah. i was I, don't, I didn't come to it but i was very on board with you were it. on board you signed on because i remember it was, was me and alec for sure i think it was just me and alec I don't think Billy came. Yeah, to the it was you and Alec. You and Alec. Yeah. Yeah, right. and we went and had Thai food afterwards. But I was so like, yes, I want to be like, you know, those reality shows where people are like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm like, I'm here to make friends. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm that guy. And I was so grateful to have that job because I, you know, I had been a magazine journalist, and you know, magazines were that was not a growing business. So it was, uh, it was. Uh, Saved me for a bit, and it was such a pleasure to work on. You worked on multiple seasons of that show, right? Three seasons, yeah, yeah. That that show was like that. That show was like the, probably the funnest job, best job I had ever. 
it was such a, it was so much fun. It was such a, it had such a good spirit. It was so, it was such a love fest. I mean, there were like kooky people, but it was like fine. And, and it was just such a, it was such a pure experience. And, and, you know, um, we got to go on the Rosie cruise every year. Rosie, Rosie O'Donnell was our producer. So we got right. to go on the Rosie cruise and that was fun. And went to the Bahamas. And I didn't get to do the cruise. I think I was on the third season and yes, there was no right. cruising that's for right. me. But um, right. I heard stories of the cruise and mischief and mayhem happening on the cruise. Um, um, really? I just, Kate McKinnon looked at stripper pole and got like, like, like a, um, like or something. <laughs> so she was in her room the whole time. She never came. That's, Did she that's lit the stripper thing. pole on a cruise ship? <laughs> yes. First and of she all. She got like a, she got like dysentery yeah, wow. in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not sure. That's not, it, it might be slightly varied right. story, but like, that's what I remember. So yeah. And I remember I would, our apartments where I was subletting where you was pretty close to you and you, we would yeah, walk yeah. to the, the, the office every day with Alec Holland and pretend mm-hmm. we were who, do you remember Love. this? Wilson Phillips. Yes, Wilson Phillips. Because <laughs> I felt like we were the three of us walking down the boardwalk in the whole we we video. Would, we were like that, but we were also like a little bit Laverne and Shirley because we'd have sure. our arms, you know, the Shamil Shalmaz. I think we'd yes. have our arms locked and we would be singing, hold on. Yes. Yeah. Hold, hold on for one more day. And it was a thrill. And I, and, oh, I love that. I love that gig. Sally Kirkland is calling me. One second. Sally yeah. Kirkland is oh, calling me. That might be no, the title no, of the episode. On. She's in the movie, by the way, and coming to the screen. I, I, take it. I sent her to voice. I sent her to you voice. Can take, you could take her if you want. No, no. Okay. It's okay. I would have bumped you up. All right. Um, so funny. <laughs> so, of course, she called now. She's like, so, yeah, witchy. That's really weird. I remember one, you know, because people talk about show business jobs being stressful and abusive and all of this stuff. I remember one night when we all had to work kind of late. And they brought in pizza, but I don't remember that job for for being something like a television where there's deadlines and pressure and stuff like that. I don't remember it feeling toxic at all. And I was happy to work that one night and we got pizza and it's a party. And it was like, I loved Scott King, our showrunner, made me laugh harder than anybody. So we just laughed. I mean, we had dream board parties, you know, it was like that kind of environment. Like, that was the first time party. I ever went to a dream board party. And I still do dream boards to this day. I talk about them a they lot. Work. My listeners they are work. like, this is bullshit. No, I, I but you. I have a theory about dream boards. We can go in. Let's go into it. Okay. Okay. I, first of all, that dream board party, I was very excited to do it. Cause I, as I said, I'm there to make friends and <laughs> it was Easter Sunday and I went to Staples to buy, you know, my board. Well, Staples mm-hmm. was closed on Easter. No office supply stores were open. So I had to go to a CVS. And the only thing they had that would even work, or like a Rite Aid or whatever it is, was a mailing envelope that was made of cardboard. So already my dreams are compromised before I cut out one picture. Already we've, we've lost the thread. Right, right. <laughs> and I was trying to spin it like, well, I'm, mail- I'm del- going to have my dreams delivered Hence the mailing envelope. No, but right. anyway, but we went to Scott's, <laughs> that, that cool place that he was uh, subletting, and we did our dream boards. And um, I've been into it ever since. It worked for me. I remember cutting out HBO and Showtime out of a magazine and putting it on my dream board. Yes. And I wound up, and I wound up like, it was right around, I was walking down the street after work one day on that season. It was right after the show. Anyway, Lisa Kudrow, Dan Bukatinsky, and Don Roos, reached out to me to, and wanted to adapt my, my memoir into like a, a TV show for Showtime or whoever. Yeah. We pitched it to Showtime and HBO. Like, and this happened like right after the free board party. 
And then with Selena Lay, like pitching a show with Lisa Kudrow and H- Showtime bought it. And your, and your book was called HBO, Why the Long, Long Face. Face. And it was a yes. wonderful book. And I remember you texting me saying Showtime bought it. Yeah. I remember getting that text. That's how I got into TV. That's how I I signed with CA and I got like an agent and that's how it happened. So that But it was, I really blame the dream board. The dream board had a lot to do with it. You blame it or you think it? it, Because my book had had been out of published, had been out of print since like for like 10 years and and somehow it wound up in the, yeah, someone's lap. But that show didn't end up going, but it did allow you to get the next thing. How did that work? Mm -hmm. The agent was like, LA. I believe in you. I'm going to try to get you some other yeah. gigs. Yeah. Once I, once I had this pilot sort of, and, and it was a good writing sample of a show called Rapture. Um, then I had, um, uh, it was like, you know, there was a regime change at Showtime bump. People went to NBC. So then I wrote a pilot for NBC because he was there. So I sort of followed him over there and he wrote a pilot at NBC called off the grid. Um, which didn't get made, um, which is about people that move off the grid and live in like, you know, Humboldt County, you know, like off, you know, off the land. Right. But in network, number television, you have to sell shit like tied. And the whole show was like, you don't need this stuff. So it didn't make sense. Right. Um, but, um, but then I, and I, that led to something else. And I wrote a pilot for E and it just kept going from there. And I, and then it got true blood. Like, um, I mean, I worked in, I worked in TV as a writer for like 15 years. So that's, that's about as long as you get, I think. Right. It's such a stressful, you know, it's a stressful um, job. What was it like working on True Blood? Um, it was... Because uh, I don't think I of was, you as um, bloody and, <laughs> you know, the themes of it. I don't necessarily think really, of you, but maybe. That show was the perfect fit for me as a writer because it was like, it was campy and funny and weird. And it was like, um, but it was also like kind of dark. The comedy was dark. Um, it was very, um, you know, it was a hard to show to write because it had like fantasy. It had, it had like, you know, it, it had all the, it had literally everything but the, in the, but the kitchen sink in there. And you had to like hit this tone that was very specific to Alan Balls, what he, what the show had. I was like the new writer, like everyone else thought that I, when I started the show, like everyone else had been there a while. So I was like, Hey, I'm the new kid. And so that was like, that was, I got, it was fun for that reason because it was like no one knew me and there was I had no baggage at all, no problems right. with and anybody. And people were pretty so, open and friendly, and you felt totally like was, friendly oh, and open. And, and I and the actors were so great. It was like the people in that show. Like I to this day, like I I loved those people so much. It was such a they were so kind and welcoming. It was such a great experience. It really spoiled me. Like it, my first real staff writing job, and it was like so amazing. So. Did you get to and, go to know, set? Because that's another big thing they talk about with the strike is that actors are never or writers are never getting to go to set and have that experience. Well, we produced uh, we produced our own episode. So, like my two episodes, I produced, and that was mostly a producing job. The writing part was like very minimal. It mostly was like extras, casting, and props, and all that stuff, and getting it. And you were there every day, like long hours. And you had that I, experience. You, know, you got to make those decisions. I did. And it learn. was. It was. Yeah, yeah. It was fantastic, and you got a lot of freedom. Like one of my episodes. Like the Yakuza goes into goes into like a, a Ted Cruz fundraiser and like shoots up a bunch of Republicans and and they let me do that and like just let me do that I'm like right. I can do that sure it's HBO and the next day that was actually my one of my highlights of my career actually was like because of that episode because there's a scene there's a moment in the episode where Pam played by Kristen Bauer she and Eric go to like this Ted Cruz fundraiser the one I talked about is it literally Ted Cruz or like a Ted Cruz type literally literally Ted wow. Cruz oh wow. At the, at the George Bush presidential library, which, which we did not shoot it there, yeah. but that's where it takes place. And, um, and Pam gets dressed up and she turns to Eric and she's like, Oh my God, I'm a Republican. 
And that one, that one line became like a, like a GIF and like a hashtag yeah. and it went on Twitter and it was like all over Twitter for like a week. And like the next, the day after that aired, I woke up and the Washington Post was calling me. The Washington Post, as in like, you know, the Washington Post wanted me to get, wanting to know what I thought about Ted Cruz calling me a misogynist. And I was like, what? And so apparently, like, he got mad. Sarah Palin got in the mix of it because I asked her to be in the episode. She turned me down. And uh, she was like, he wanted to get me to do it, too. I'm liberals, Hollywood liberals. And it was, like, such an amazing thing to see happen and to be in the middle of that for, like, a week or whatever because and the people at HBO told me not to talk about it to so not get involved. But I was so wanted to get involved. And it was so interesting. But, you know, my friend, one of the actors on the show, when it was all happening, it was on Colbert and all that stuff, um, she was like, well, you can die a happy man now, Greg. You've, you've, you've pissed off Ted Cruz and Sarah Palin. That's so, amazing. Yeah, that was highlight. Yeah. That was, and you were in the middle of a, you were in the middle of a viral media storm and you, but you kept your head down. I was a hashtag. You were a hashtag. <laughs> wow. And better than winning an enemy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you are in Palm Springs now. How do you like being in Palm Springs? Um, I love Palm Springs. It's the only place I've ever, ever lived that I've never complained about. Like it's, it's really, really easy. Um, those streets are really wide. You could drive, there's no traffic. It's like the 1950s. Um, there's a lot of people. It's a small town, but the people here are all from someplace else. So it has, it's like sophisticated, you know? So like you can have a dinner party and have like smart, intelligent people, you know, they can play ball with you verbally. So that's nice about it. It's, it's a rare thing that way. And I feel safe and it's, it's beautiful and it's hot, but I like the heat and I like it. There you go. How long have you been out there? Living? I moved here in June, June of 2020 during the pandemic, right. during the lockdown. Yeah. And I moved, yeah, I moved into like this place, this place in the movie colony, which is really beautiful. And that's where I landed. Yeah. Yeah. And, but it used to come out a lot. Yeah. And you have friends there and you found a community and you're into, I'm asking cause I'm thinking, you know, someday. Oh. Well, it's, it's, a, I mean, I'm, I'm like a sober person. So there's, if you're sober here, it's like, there's a whole 12 step huge right. thing happening here, which I love, which is most of my friends are in. Yeah. But, um, I also saw that you were thinking about moving to Mexico because I was thinking about moving to Puerto Vallarta or Puebla. Well, Puebla is sensational. I went there uh, in May. I saw it. Um, Yeah. I started trying to learn Spanish in 2021, January, with an online tutor named Denise that my friend Mike Briggs referred me to. And we've been working once a week, and I'm not great at it, but I really enjoy doing it, and I adore her. So I'm like, I'm going to go. I've always wanted to go to Mexico City, so I was like, I'm going to go to Mexico City and then take a bus to Puebla and meet my tutor. And it sounds like something out of a movie, but um, she's fabulous. She was kind of gorgeous wow, and great. glamorous and lovely and vivacious. And I got to see her, the side of her head because on Zoom, you don't know what people look like. I'm like That's very true. I'm like, oh, that profile <laughs> is stunning. Like, And I, we ju- I just – and Puebla was a wonderful place to be. It was like the place you dream of like, I'm going to go away for six months and write a book it was that kind of a place where you mm, felt like wow. it was, it, it had a certain charm to it and a wave of life with people out walking around in the square. And yeah. So wow, I, okay. I don't know. I could, I could end up somewhere else, but I'm just not sure where. And uh, so yeah. I, I do love Palm Springs when I go there. And I mean, it's, yeah, I love it here too. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not really into the big city thing anymore. Yeah. I want like, I want like either this or like, you know, like yeah. Puebla or someplace like that. Someplace sleepier. Uh, you mentioned being in recovery, and that's a part of the movie as well. Why was that important yes. to you? Do you remember why it was important to you to include that? Well, I wrote the script when I was counting days in, in AA, like in 2002. 
my first my first sobriety was July 6, two thousand two. So I was I was sort of I was sort of just like didn't know what to do with myself, the typical new person, like you know newcomer kind of like crazy brain. So I just started writing the script to keep myself busy, right, and to do something. And so I because the person that came back when I got sober was my creativity. And so I just started. Isn't that, you know, wasn't that a relief? Wasn't that exciting when that happened? Or was yeah, it like, oh, okay, now I have to do something with it? It's more just like I forgot. I mean, it's more like I forgot that I, I could do, you know, it's more like it's because you, you get your soul back in a way and, and right. a lot of your, and your sense of humor. And so I wrote the movie based on what I was going through and, 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 and also this idea that like it was damaged goods because I had been like, you know, had a crystal meth problem and got better. And so who was going to, who could deal with that and the whole thing. So I, it was very, um, it was, I mean, I'm not really like Adam. I'm, I'm, Adam could never direct a movie. He would cry every day, like every single chicken fried steak he had. <laughs> but, but I, but I, so I'm, I'm much more capable than, than he would be. But I, but I, there are parts of him that are like me and I'm still like him. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So you wanted but that I'm, to be part of the movie? I mean, it's funny because my, uh, there's, I'm part of my group here. I'm in a, I'm in a Crystal Meth Anonymous here. And they, um, which is an amazing organization, like amazing. They're so, it's like, it's like, I'm so inspired by what I see in the Palm Springs gay recovery community. Cause I'm so, it feels like very early, like AIDS activism because so many people are dying from this, from this epidemic of crystal meth right now and PNP and all that stuff. Right. So it's very, there's a sort of like wartime mentality and people are like there to save their lives and people I know dying. And so I'm very involved in that. And I, and, um, because you don't see that much in movies and there's, there's very little representation of like gay recovery. Like you see, and, and really just gay addiction in general, like you don't really see it cause we're so busy trying to be positive role models, which is totally understandable. Right. But what can happen in the process is that you kind of like, you kind of skip over some stuff that's, that's needs to be addressed and that's, that's going on. So like, I, I thought Adam and Steve would be like a good way to address that and talk and show a guy that's in recovery. Cause the, the whole thing at the end of the movie is like Adam's about to drink and Steve saves him. Like he stops him at the end, which is kind of codependent and not really very good AA, but, but he does, cause you have to save yourself and all that stuff, but he does like, but that's the, um, that's the sort of like cliffhanger is that Adam might lose his sobriety. So right. that's why I, that's, and I get, I get messages to this day for two things for that movie. I get, um, I get emails thanking me for, um, for the wedding. Cause a lot of gay couples have used our vows in their, in their own ceremonies, Sally Kirkman's vows. Right, um, she so marries of, you in the wedding. She is a real ordained minister. She used those are her words that she uses to marry people, and so marry guys and lesbians. So she, we, so that's one thing I get lots of messages, messages about that. I get other the other messages I get are always about um, about um, thank you for showing a gay sober man, so gay sober person, um, and that's those are the two things that that it's nice to hear that get that. Isn't that a great reminder of? Sometimes you work really hard on some creative thing. You don't make very much money. Sometimes you lose money. It's brutal. But once in a <laughs> while, you hear that it connected. And you're like, oh, I feel that way about this podcast, yeah. actually. <laughs> <Which> I, <laughs> no, I get a lot of joy from, but it's not something I make money on or anything like that. I, it's very meaningful me, for me to do that. But I think sometimes you you're forget. Very good at it. I think sometimes you forget that these things can land and mean, and really mean something. And it sounds like you get to hear f- from people in regards to this movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, the more that, I mean, it just, it just sort of, it just kind of kept going. Like it's one of those things that like, like, you know, the other movie I'd made that's survived is swoon, but you know, swoon's fans are like, they're not, they tend to not be like the kinds of people that are going to like write you a fan letter, you know, they're, right. like, they're going to go back to like, you know, the college dorm and like write a paper about it. They don't really like, 
So it's it's different. You know, Adam and Steve, the fan base is very people. It's just a, it just is like, you know, I it's funny. I, I never I didn't think this would be the thing that would, that I would be celebrating 20 years later. But that's what we're doing. And and uh, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful that I have. I'm grateful that when all is said and done, you know, what matters is like what you just described. That's what matters. Like if uh, I didn't have children, I didn't get married. I didn't do that version of gay life, but I did make things and and those things are my children those are my children that's beautiful and one of them one of them's turning 18 right and it was 2005 and there's a gay wedding in it and i was like that must have been pretty early for gay weddings because we we weren't really that far along on the marriage equality uh train no it was it was before to before prop eight and um yeah, I mean, I sometimes I feel like the gay forest gump because I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that also could be the title to- <laughs> of this episode. I don't know if it's as good as Lonnie Anderson. Maybe people vote. Um, Shelly Gurgling calling. Yeah. Because I, I, I mean, I moved to New York in 1984, right when AIDS was hitting. Like, I, I, I mean, like, right when I got there. And then, like, everybody was dying. And there was that whole thing about, like, don't get AIDS. And then everyone thought they were going to get it eventually. And then that, and then I lived through that. Then I, then it was like all about like being openly gay and coming out and like silence equals death and all this stuff. So I was openly gay actor and that whole thing and Ellen generous and that all that happened. And then the next thing was like marriage equality. And I made a movie about two guys getting married and before prep eight. And that was, that was that way. But now it's like PMP. I'm like, I got in the middle of that one too. So, I mean, I'm very like, I'm very, I'm very like, it's a small world, but it's, you're in the boat floating through and, and witnessing all the different moments in gay culture. That's, that's me, except I'm not floating. And yeah. I'm like, you know, Mr. To- Mr. Toeswell, right? Now I um, learned, I learned about your screening on social media and, and you tend to post frequently and, and share things on that. What has that meant for you? Has it been a plus or is there a downside to it? Oh, it's horrible. No, it's been, <laughs> it was so bad, terrible. I mean, first of all, okay, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I was sober for 14 years and I relapsed and then I had horrible things happen and I lost my house and I was living in my car in 2019. And I, I, I mean, I'm like a total cliche, like, you know, successful gay guy that like had everything and like blew it up and, 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 and hit bottom. That's what happened to me. I forgot that I can't drink normally and I didn't drink. And, and then I, within a year, I was like a mess. So I, I'm a cliche. And the good thing about that is that I, there are tools available to me to get better, which is great. Um, but, um, but, you know, when I first, before I got sober, you know, Facebook, there was no Facebook when I got sober in 2002. Okay. Right. Like the world is really different now than when right. I got sober in 2002. In 2002, you got, you were just as big of a mess, but like no one really knew about it. Like a couple of people. Right. And then when you got better, people would be like, oh, I'm so great. It's Craig Lyon. Is he full of shit? Or is he, oh, who cares? Let's go to a movie. People didn't have the same, like, where are the receipts kind of thing that they have now about like everything. Like you can't. Right. People are just like on to everybody else all the time and up, up in your stuff. So I was really active on Facebook when I was like crazy and, and, and not sane and not normal and not, not recovered. So it's, it's this whole process of like doing like my steps and recovery now are like, you know, how do I make an amends to like Facebook? <laughs> right. <laughs> hundreds of people. Right. I mean, it's such a big thing. So it, there's, there's that. And it's just a different world too. Cause the world's just like, it's just a lot more mean now than when I got sober in 2002. That's not, that's not Facebook, just everything. It's just like a lot more people are a lot more like, you know, they're, they're just, there's more shot in for it than it used to be, but that's okay. And, but I, but Facebook has been like, but I, I wrestle with how to, how to talk about stuff on Facebook because it's like, I had a very public meltdown <laughs> and, um, and so I, I want to have like a public getting better too, like a public yeah. recovery. So I went back in the program like a year ago. And, um, so I, I, 
I wrestle with that. Cause you're also, also not, not supposed to promote your recovery. It's like part of the, you know, the 12 step tradition. So like I'm doing that right now probably, which is bad, but, but, but I then think, I also, but I also think it might help other people that are, that are in similar situations. And so, yeah. Well, here, this is how, I mean, the problem I have with it is it, I mean, seeing the crystal meth and PMP party and play, all that stuff that's going on right now is so bad. It's so everywhere. And, People don't even know, they know people that are caught up in this and it's, it's very, very dangerous and, and it's very sad. And so I'm still that guy that like, you know, that was silent sequel stuff. I've always been that person that like talked about stuff and was open about what I was going to, whether it be gay. I don't like, I think that shame is the devil. It's, that's the enemy. Right. So like whenever I'm, whenever I'm feeling as though I'm supposed to be fully, feeling embarrassed or shamed of something, I tend to push back, but I, but when I would, was out there and I was meeting lots of guys that were like, that were even bigger messes than I was, I'd be like, you should go to CMA. And they'd be like, what's that? Country Music Awards? Like, no, it's... Yeah, Carrie Underwood's got all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, they, they don't like really, um, they didn't even know it existed. Right. So I, I, I talk about it because it's not like A, where everybody knows about A, everybody, there's some movies about it, Meg Ryan and... It's like no one knows about CMA, and it's a really important movement that's happening right now in, our, in, in the gay community. It's, it's really exciting, and I'm, I'm a big, uh, it's saving my life, so I'm really grateful for it. Well, and I think it's important that people know that it exists, that it's there for you. Now, a yes. lot of this happened during the pandemic, and I, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I do remember seeing parts of your journey and wondering and it's oh. just interesting that that journey was out there i kind of can't believe i now that it's on the other side of it i kind of can't believe that happened i i i mean this this is the thing that's just like the, the nature of um of this drug in particular is that it makes you mentally ill yeah it makes you crazy and to be blunt and so like but when you're in it you're, you're it's it makes you paranoid and you're very there's a narrow you can get into these like false narratives that aren't true but that are hundred percent true to you. And so when you're a person like me who accomplished a lot and who, who people listened to and who had like a point of view, which is also why I believe my point of view, because when it was off, because I was paid as a writer to, to for my point of view for years and here right. it was, here I was coming out. So it took me like a good six months. The first time when I got, when it got sober last year that to like, just sort of like figure out what happened. Yeah. And it, it's, um, it's, I, a lot of what I reported, you know, I was homeless. I lost my house, um, which, you know, is a complicated situation when someone becomes homeless. Um, it's not just about drugs. It's also because they ran out of money. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of things going on. But I, um, but I, I've spent the last year sort of figuring out what it was. But I, do, I don't, I do regret going on Facebook and I do regret sharing it in the way that I did. I don't regret, I don't regret talking about it, but I do regret. I wasn't a good, I wasn't, um, in a, in a good place to, and I wish someone had just sat on my hands and taken my laptop away at the time. Yeah. 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 But it's, I think it takes a lot of courage to look at that being in the place that you are now. I think it's, I don't know if it's courage, but I think it's, I got to the point where I, I was either going to die or like, you know, do something about it. And I, I was so, I think I'd gone so far down and I, I lost so much. And my teeth were broken. They were, my, they were infected. I couldn't find someone to, do my my oral surgery it was such a hopeless situation that like i know that like objectively like i look at where i'm at today and i know that like i can hopefully give someone hope that that no one was as low down as i was and no one was as as no one had a lower bottom than i had it was so bad and so um the fact that i'm alive is a miracle and the fact that i'm 
able to like still be, be and I'm myself again. I'm basically the same guy I was for 54 years until I relapsed and that person again. Um, I'm so lucky. Just I just got lucky. I don't. I just feel like it's grace. I didn't do anything special. I'm nothing. There's nothing fancy about me. I'm a very textbook alcoholic addict. But I just got lucky, and I knew that enough to to keep going with with it. This moment of grace I had to, to wake up and go like, what is? And I just took it an opportunity to get better. I, get, I got monkey pops. You got is, monkey um, pox. <laughs> yes, that's I, I didn't. I did Did you post about that? I didn't see that one. I didn't see. <laughs> I, did. I, I missed a lot of installments. I think. Um, um, I, I was the eighth person to get monkeypox in Riverside County. Wow. I mean, I didn't even know it was in America. I, I was so, <laughs> but you know, it was number eight. I mean, I, I was hoping I could break in the top five, but sure, it's you know, just an honor to be nominated, you know, it, it really um, is. <laughs> but it was like such an, and for that three weeks I had like, I had to do quarantine and I, and I, I had a really hard time like staying off the apps and like not, and staying sober. And I, and that's when that three week pause let the light come in. And I was like, Oh my God, like what? What? And I sort of came to, you know, it came out of denial. I was in a lot of denial, like a lot. So the monkey pox was a blessing. It was, it was a blessing. Wow. It saved me. Yeah. It saved me. It gave I mean, you, you never some space to, <laughs> yeah. And, and then, so did your sobriety begin after that or was that at yeah. the beginning of it? Yeah. August 25th. Yeah. Last year. I, I, I just, and I went to like, I called up a friend who, um, I knew was went to CMA and a, and a support friend of mine. And I said, I need, will you take me? And he said, we do a Friday night meeting. And it was like, packed all these guys. And it was loud and raucous and it was in Palm Springs. And I, and I raised my hand and I, and I said, I, I need help. And, and they took me out to dinner and I sat at the restaurant and the table. And I couldn't even talk to people. I was so shattered. I couldn't even like, I couldn't, um, I didn't know how to, for, I didn't know how to be normal at all. So I'd been like on this desert island for like three years of like drug addiction and, and homelessness and problems. And, and, and so I, and then slowly I just got better, slowly kept coming back every day and going to two meetings a day. And like, and I just started to get, I started to come back to life. It's sort of just like that, you know, I just started to feel like myself again. And, and now I'm, I feel like my, the self I was for 54 years. <clears throat> you seem like the guy that I know because we haven't spoken in quite a while, long before mm-hmm. any of that stuff happened. Although yeah. I've I've always had a I've always adored you and I've always um, loved your work Same. and who you are and you've you've been generous to me and you helped me and um, so you seem like the guy because when I when we set up to do this I wasn't sure what your story would be or what was going on but I had a I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to um, you know I, I you posted that picture of that time and it reminded me of such a wonderful time and so here we are doing it. What, Here we are. What's different? What have you noticed about recovery that's different this time than before? Or is it this? Is it always the same? Or is it? Is that world changed? Or you're older? You're no, wiser? The, well, the world is <clears throat> no recovery is the same. Um, the difference is, um, like when I first got sober in 2002, I went to AA. Although my problem was always crystal meth. Like I was always that gay guy. That was always my problem. My well, that one's choice. apparently the most insidious thing you can imagine. I, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 it's. It, it, it's, it's such a, it does such a, tr- it's, it lies to you in your own voice. Like, yeah. oh, it, that's, it, that's so what it does. That's what it does. So like I, I, but when I first came in, when I first got sober in 2002, I went to AA because there was no CMA was very French. It was hardly any people, but either went. So I didn't, I went to AA and sort of like the specifics of my problem. I, and revolving around sex and gay, being gay and shame and, and around sex and stuff like that. Never 
got addressed. It was always about like, I would say claim my seat as an alcoholic, but it really was about that drug. So for 20, for 14 years, I went to AA, but I never really, I was always like a crystal meth addict that was in recovery. And so now what's different now is that I can go to a, I can go to a group where I can get really specific and with other guys and talk about the things that are happening. It's CMA is the difference now. It's, that's, it's growing. There, there's a new, you know, there's all this new literature that's happening about it. I'm writing a book right now about what we're talking about. I am, um, Stephen King, the author, is helping me out right now. The Stephen King is in Perry. And, That's incredible, Craig. Yeah, yeah. I wrote him a letter. <laughs> I wrote him. So, like, um, Laura Green at the uh, at the Actors Fund has been, like, one of my supporters here. At, the Actors Fund is an amazing organization. I, was they're, just, they're also, I just had lunch with a, with a friend who had brought another friend of theirs who is in a crossroads and uh-huh. needed, what am I doing? My career, I don't know what's happening. And I'm in the, of a certain age. And I, I was like, go to the Actors Fund. Like, they help me so much. They're the best. They incredible. have a new name now. I mean, but yeah, the entertainment fund, I'm not, yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all to hear that that was a, um, a source for you of, of goodwill. They, I mean, I was going to lose my car. They paid my car payment. I mean, they've been incredible. And so I, I, um, Laura suggested I, I reached out to him and he's got this foundation that reached that helps like, you know, a couple of writers a year with to be a professional writer who, who had a career and you run hard luck or whatever. And so I reached out to him and, and uh, I wrote this really brutal cover letter to him. Like, hi, Mr. King, <laughs> my name is Greg Chester. And just like, I lived in my car. I, I was still that in recovery. And I, and so I, I was very honest and Ileana Douglas, by the way, Ileana Douglas, who, Wanted me to specifically say hello to you today, Dennis. She loves you. I love her. She came to bowling parties, and whenever I see her, she's a delight. We were in dance class a few times together for like jazz over forty, um, (laughs) (laughs) trying kicking it up. Yeah, I love her. So I love hearing that you're still in touch with her because we talk every day. I love knowing she's been like a she's been like a um she's been with me through all of this she's been so supportive like a daily comfort to me like so incredibly such a good loving friend incredible support system of mine and um like i can't even explain her and jackie b both have been like there for me through this whole thing um jackie b bought me an air fryer when i got my teeth fixed i got my first air fryer from jackie b um your teeth look great program. by the way at least thank on you, Zoom. You. they look great Thank and you, thank you. Jackie Beat is also in um, your movie, and she sings a song called she Shit is. Happens. That I have to believe she might have written herself because she's the queen of funny lyrics. She wrote it herself. She wrote it herself. I just saw her have show you? here, the 60th birthday show. She's Me too. Oh, my God. So it was so good. So fucking talented. Did, did you hear, like, the padam padam take the the runs, the runs? The <laughs> yes, padam, the runs, padam. the runs. That was, like, pure Jackie Beat brilliance, like, fucking home run like so good um my yeah. favorite was so, eating pussy in my uh hospice bed <laughs> yes, it was yes. such an absurd take on it was, it. So it was sort like, of like this is the only thing i haven't done left on my bucket list is eat pussy <laughs> so she said she wrote a whole song about it instead of sleeping single in a double bed and barbara like, Mandel, she did barbara mandrell it was so just like off the cuff like just yeah you but know, also, Jackie is such a great vocalist. Never a I off know, note. I know. Can no. do style. Can do country. Can do anything. Yeah, Never yeah. an off pitch. Like incredible vocalist. So anyway. Yeah. So good. So good. Jackie Beat and Eliana. So 
No, so Elliot, so I, I read wrote this letter to Stephen King. It was very graphic, and Elliot was like, "Put more drug use in, put more crystal meth in." I'm like, right. "What? No, this guy wrote Carrie. Give him the give him the right. details." <laughs> right. So and so I wrote this really honest, really honest letter, and I sent it to Maine. I had to mail it, no email, like through the through the mail, snail mail, the envelope and the stamp and the whole thing, and like send in like a, for a chapter of. I wrote a chapter for the book I'm working on called Hobophobia, which is about when I was homeless. And, um, That's a he, brilliant and, title, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So I sent it in and I thought, and I didn't hear back. And I thought, you know, I, so I blew it. Like I was too honest. I was too, you know, I overshared as usual. And then like, um, one day this lady called me from Maine named Mrs. I forget her name. She was like, uh, she was like this older, old lady from Maine, older woman from Maine. Hello, please call me. Don't call too late. I go to bed very early. She had the main asset. I can't do it. But then she called and said, she said, Stephen will help you, but like you, um, you have to like, keep working on this book and keep writing this. This is not just about you sitting and watching TV. I want to help you get back on your feet. And so that's, he's like my hero. Like he's saving, he's giving me a chance to like focus on my writing and get, and work on Adam and Steve, the sequel and work on this book I'm working on. And it's like people like that, that have come back into my life and come into my life. Um, who are like my heroes, like Kate McKinnon also helped me with my the cost of my, my oral surgery. Our friend Kate McKinnon, little Kate yes, McKinnon from, from the Sketch Show, yeah, who I call my my Toothberry. I mean, we got back in touch because she came into my A when I was down and out, and so I am I am so lucky, and I'm here because people helped me. You know, I was when I was in trouble, whether it was people that were sober in the program or people like Kate and Stephen King, people that reached out to me and, and pulled me up by the bootstraps, and that, that's and I and I and I. I'm here and I'm, I'm better now because of it. And I, and I'm so grateful for it. And I, I'm super, super grateful. Did you talk to Stephen King personally? Have you interacted with him? No, no, he's, but I have to send, I have to send pages to him and yeah. um, they have to like, it's not just like they're helping me. And it's, it's like a, Eliana was like, it's like, you're getting paid to write. You're getting paid to write basically yeah. what's happening. So um, yeah, I think that's incredible. So was, yeah. And that yeah, yeah. came because of the actress fund gave you that. Yeah. Idea. Yeah. yeah. They, Amazing. Yeah. They, they told me to apply and I did. You talk about feeling lucky and in, in these things that have come into your life and helped you. Does it give you a feeling of, okay, there's something I need to be doing. I have something left to give. Does it fuel the writing? Do you feel like a sense of purpose around creativity? Um, a year ago, I mean, a year ago now I was like, I was hitting bottom with monkey pox. My teeth were broken. Like literally nothing. I was the last thing I thought about. I never, I had no ambitions or hopes of any kind. I thought that's all over. I burned all my bridges. It's over. And so it's like, as I go through this, I sort of wait and I'm just sort of like waiting to see what happens. And, and as I go through like the, the Adam and Steve thing popped up sort of organically. I was at a party with um, this guy I was dating and, um, and the guys who who put these events on met me and they were like, let's do a swoon or Adam and Steve screening. I'm like, well, swoon is really, Adam and Steve is more like Palm Springs. So they, that's how it happened. Was I know the those party. guys, right? Yeah. They're so great. The yeah. filmmakers gallery. There is Paul it and Paul Steve, and Steve. Yeah. 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 We did a they're screening so of a short film I worked on. Uh, called they love if you. Took, yeah. If we took a holiday with Nadia Ginsburg, who was in Adam and Steve. I know. It was genius. Way before, yeah. years before I met her and put her in my short film. So you were on the Nadia tip really early on. <laughs> so yes. hats off. She's, she's brilliant. She's, I, I actually, um, they mentioned you when I told them I was doing this today and they were like, we love Tennyson told me about that at that event. So just, you know, things as I go, as I go through my, as I'm getting my life together and getting sober again and, and clear headed, 
like things are emerging. And, and so I just try to sit back and pay attention to like whatever doors are open. I'm like, well, that's happening. So I'm just going in that Adam and Steve direction now. And that's what I'm doing. And Malcolm's coming out and Sally and maybe some other actors. And so there's that. And then that led to like Malcolm and I talking and like, Oh, I heard you sober again. That's great. Okay. Let's talk about the sequel. And then that happened. So it's, there's no like plan here going on. It's just, it's like things, one thing happens and I just, the door opens and I go in that direction and the steaming King suggested I do this, I do that. And I, I'm not really like, um, I don't, I'm sort of just like, I'm open to whatever presents itself, but I don't have any, I'm in complete acceptance of whatever's going on. I don't have any like master plan or anything like that. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen or what I'm going to do. Yeah. But I'm really proud of you and I'm really happy for these you. things that are coming uh, your way. And I'm inspired by your story and um, thank you, I'm happy to reconnect with you. And you I know, look, me too. And you still look good. You're handsome. Your posts thank online, you. I'm like, he's looking good. He's keeping it together. Well, you know, the I'm body's tight. Like 40, thank you. I've gained like 40 <clears throat> pounds in like a year. It's like I, I, I've gained like, I literally gained 40 well, pounds. Well, you don't look year. heavy. So you must have been really thin. I mean, I had a, I had a washboard <laughs> stomach and a washboard face. Yeah, you had a washboard face. <laughs> Please, that needs to be a chapter of your Stephen King book. Um, I was looking at your Thank IMDb, you. and um, early on, you were in these seminal movies: Swoon, Grief, Frisk. What was that time like in a general way? Would you feel like a badass um, actor doing cool stuff, or was it also like they didn't pay much, so I had to figure some shit out? Like, was it glamorous? What was that time like? Um. You know, you hear people talk about like times when they were involved in like some kind of a movement and they're like, we didn't really know it at the, the time. The new queer and, and cinema like, kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah. But I, I feel like we did kind of know it. I think that, I think I did know there was something exciting going on. There was something, uh, I think the thing that, <clears throat> and I was also, I just, at the time I remember just thinking like I wanted to do, I just wanted to be good at something. I wanted to be good at, at being an actor. So I, and I, um, and I think the fact that, you know, there was this whole thing happening and I was sort of like in the middle of it. It's, uh, it was very, it came out of the politics of the time. So like I was very politicized by moving to New York and my, you know, in, in 1984, I, I, my whole identity as a gay man was, was wrapped up in politics and AIDS activism and gay rights. And so I, it just felt like a natural extension of my, my politics, like my career. They were sort of one and the same. And it, it got tricky for me later when, I tried to separate the two and, and make it into like a more of a commodity type thing, a Hollywood thing, and which I never really could ultimately reconcile, obviously. <laughs> but I, but I, when I'm in that zone where I, my work is motivated by like a cause or like, you know, something bigger, it's just my, my was formed in those years, like in the mid eighties in New York city and early nineties, like it was just all about like activism and, and politics. And so I'm just so, I'm such a creature of my time. And I was formed in those years of my formative years. So I, um, so that's, that's when I look back on it. I just think of it as like more like a political movement than as like a, as like a movie thing. It's movies came out of politics and including like grief and, um, for us, it was all like, it was all, we were all reacting. The art was reacting to what the culture was going on at the time. And so that's why there was an urgency and kind of like a, uh, you know, there just was so much like the stakes were really high, you know, because people could die, people were sick, and some of the people that were working on the movies were like wrestling with with it in their own lives, and so yeah, that's I just look at it like as like a movement, political movement, as opposed to like political. a career thing. Like, well, that should have led yeah. to this, or I wasn't on. Yeah, um, I was never that ambitious. I was never like I would never. I I mean, if I was ambitious, I would never have like 
come out <laughs> or been like openly gay. I, I never was like super angly. Like now, and back then it was sort of not cool to be ambitious. You were kind of like, if you were, you kind of kept it to yourself. Now it's like all over, you know, it's the opposite. In the nineties, I, I think when both of us were kind of starting to make inroads in our various careers, there was a sense of like, you don't want to sell out. And now there's yeah. no idea. Selling out is everyone selling out. Aniston's on Instagram. Fuck it. Where do I go to yeah. sell out? Where's the place? I'll drive there. I will pay for parking. <laughs> I am ready to sell out, whatever it is. But back then, yeah. you could ex- eke out an existence and not sell out. You could do it. That yeah. went away. When you transitioned yeah. to writing, did you miss acting? Or were you like, you know what? I did no. that. I'm into writing. No, I was relieved. Because I, I, acting makes me neurotic. It makes me insecure. I, and people, people hate you because if you're successful at it, then people are jealous. And you have to deal with people's animosity. I, I liked being behind the camera and being, I liked being a writer really is like very much my personality. That's more like, cause I'm really like, I have opinions and <laughs> yeah. I like to, you know, I, I, and it's where I can sort of my sweet spot is creatively, but I came out of acting. I came, I, I did, um, a, uh, a short film that Jordan Firstman wrote and directed that was called call your father, which, um, I think it's online. I might've seen I did it. That, that was the last time I acted. I came out of like retirement, I guess for that. Yeah. Cause I was writing for television for 15 years and, and um and I have to say like when I did that's probably the short idea was the short idea with short enforcement is I think one of the best things I've done like of everything I've done I shot Andy Warhol everything like I've done all these movies but like that short is so good and he's so talented and it's so funny and smart and and that and I, I'm really happy with my performance in it too and I think that so you know that was something that came out of nowhere <clears throat> like I I was already I was working in television when that happened when I shot it. And I am, I am, I know that I'm a good actor, but, and so like, I'm sure I'll do it again. I'll do it. If we do Adam and see the sequel, but I, um, but I, it's not something that I like, I like dream about. Right. It's not like I'm like, it wasn't like, Oh, I really wanted to do that, but I'm going to write instead. It was like, Oh, that's right. Yeah. I didn't go see Tar and was like, I should have been in that. (laughs) You should have been Tar. I thought Tar (laughs) was campy. I think I am alone in this, but I thought it was campy. I thought it was downright campy. Yeah. Just, well, every actor I know is still, is like, where was my tar? When's my tar? <laughs> When's my, when am I going to get my tar? Stephen Guarino. <laughs> we, we still laugh about that. We laugh about that. We still talk. Stephen yeah. Guarino. Stephen Guarino was on Big A Sketch Show. Yes. I was only on that job for one season, thanks to you. But every one of those actors was a powerhouse talent. Every one of them I've seen in other things do other things. They're all really talented in different ways. But there was not a dud in that bunch. That that show was like the dazed and confused of, of, of it really television is. comedy. Like and they, it's everybody not even online. You can't even find yeah. my Glenn Close sketch that I'm so proud of. I can't find it. It doesn't <laughs> exist. It happened. I saw Nicole Payone the other night, the actress from Oh, it. I love Nicole. What are your favorite memories of Big Gay Sketch Show? And it doesn't have to be my season. I call um, it my season. I remember well when I made that show I was I was so happy I was in love with my boyfriend Brandon I was just got my puppy Olive like I remember so much like you would be um, walking Olive when I would show up at your place and then Olive would go inside and we would Wilson Phillips it up to the office yes yes I love I love that was such a happy time in my life but I but I remember so I remember that but I, I remember like um I remember um I remember Kate's Barbara Walters being really fun to work on yes I remember I remember um I remember uh, she had a, a suit made of money. She had a suit yes. made of money. What was the joke? The like I, I had to, we had to buy an outfit for a hundred dollars or something. What about the amazing race with Richard Simmons with Scott as Richard Simmons? And 
and Paulo as, as um, Anderson Cooper. And like some of our humor, by the way, we were like, cutting can- edge. We were, we were doing, getting, we, we were, were making fun canceled. of all these closeted celebrities. And it was like, we were, yeah. it was Jodie Foster and her trainer. Um, <laughs> on, <laughs> on the race. <laughs> and like, but it was some of the humor we had was like, it would get us canceled now. It's very like, and there's some stuff in Adam and Steve, I'm sure that would cancel me now too. I mean, but yeah, I, I remember writing a sketch about Ann Coulter for CoverGirl, and it, it got evolved. It changed a lot. But I remember being on location with Kate McKinnon as Ann Coulter and a horse. And I'm like, I, would, I, I wrote yeah, this. Right. I forgot about I that. I wrote yeah. a thing with a horse, and there she – it's happening, and there's a horse. <laughs> that was so funny. That, that was so funny, Dennis. That was um, really good. I also remember the last rap party, and I remember we had our shirts. We got shirts, and I remember – uh, thanking you in the hall for the experience. And it was a very sweet moment between us. Yes. Uh, you don't remember. have to remember it. I have it in my heart. I do remember. <laughs> and then I walked in and I was going to thank Scott King, who's the showrunner who I thought I really enjoyed working with. And I look over and he's got Billy Eichner and they're kind of like almost forehead to forehead, like in this intense moment of, it, it was, it looked like Scott loving on Billy and being grateful to him. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go look at the snack table. Like I just kind of did a pivot, <laughs> but you know what? And your, and your picture captured this, the way Billy sat at his desk and there was like a, he was so talented and, and funny and, and like a mad yeah. scientist kind of energy to it's him. Intensity. Yeah. yeah. Intensity. Yeah. And yeah. that picture, it comes through in that picture. Um, yeah, it totally does. Yeah. And I had, I had a crush on him. I was always, I was always like, Hey Billy, you look hot today. And he'd be like, Oh, like right. I was always, I was sexually harassing him all the time. It was really bad. I remember like I very we, bad behavior. I remember we went to that uh, Fuerza Bruda show that Scott treated us to, and it was one of the few times that everybody sort of went out together. Oh yeah, and yeah. that was a fun night. The other thing I remember, and I think about this a fair amount, is when we did the table read, we would walk from our offices to Times Square to Logo. Right. To do the read. And it was, you know, several blocks. It was a ways. But I remember the feeling of walking in a group to go do this, to go into battle. And I remember liking that feeling of being on a team. Like, yeah. I, I, I have older siblings, but I was kind of alone in the house growing up. And I think I like being part of teams sometimes. And that feeling yeah. of... Uh, we have a purpose and we're marching into, yeah. we were yeah, marching yeah. into battle with the network and we were whatever. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they weren't the enemies, but it was a, a feeling that like, I want more of that feeling in my yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was such, I mean, just, it, it was, it was such an ama- magical, you're right. It, it was such a magical time. And like, and Coleman Domingo and like, I mean, Coleman Domingo, everybody, yeah. Guarino's a knockout. Was so good. All of so them. So good. Yeah. yeah. Guarino, pocket gay and like, I remember being, I wrote Pocket Gay. That was, I was proud of that. I also wrote like, um, like just like dumb, I wrote like a thing about a bear is in someone's backyard and it was like Michael Serrano like climbing into someone's pool. Like, yes. You know, just, you know, just like stuff like, just it was just about like going in and, and being funny. And Elliot, Elliot Lawrence, it's funny because Elliot Lawrence and I wrote a sketch called Grandpappies, which, which we, which is in a way where I'm living now. It's about, right. like, it was like a, a commercial for like a, a clothing optional resort for like men of a certain age. <laughs> Cause I live in a 55 plus, you know, gay retirement park. So like I'm, I'm 57. So I'm like the, I'm like the twink here. I'm like the right. rabble rouser. And, but it was like this, it was called grandpappy. So there were things like that that never got made. And, and like sketches, the sketches that never were that I think about too. I think about them a lot. I yeah. wrote a sketch. 
I think it would still be funny and it had something to say, which was, you know, To Catch a Predator was popular at the time. <laughs> and it was a commercial for the best of catch, To Catch a Predator. All your favorite predators are back. And it was treated really like it's entertainment, which it was. But, right. you know, and right. you'll also get my Nana's sweet tea recipe, you know, because there's always like there's sweet tea on the counter, like all the predators. We're bringing them all back. You know, I like that show. Why doesn't that show come back? All the people are just they're catching their own predators now. This is a smartphone. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a great. It, <laughs> I have so many. I was only there for a while, but I have so many fun memories from it. It was so cool. Um, when you see this current generation of out actors and out writers, and they're like getting specials on Netflix, and they're really back in our day, like maybe one could sneak through with something here and there in terms of just like the business. And I yeah. look at that and I'm like, good for them. I'm happy and proud. It makes me feel good. I'm not like, oh, those fuckers have it so easy. I'm not that guy. I'm like, right. good, look at you. Go, Matt Rogers. Crush it, you know, yeah. with your Showtime show or whatever. Um, how do you feel when you look at the current generation? And it seems like there are more opportunities in certain ways. Back in our day, rarely you, you, could, you could squeak through a little here and there. I mean, I, I feel like I... I have mixed feelings about it. I, I'm, I'm super all about like young people, young gay people, like taking advantage of the freedoms that happen or happening now and, and the opportunities that we didn't have. Because even when I was 25 and I was like coming out and, and, and I was like, that was like, that was a big deal. Like, and I was scared and didn't know what I was doing. It was like Harvey Firestein and that was it. I still, I, even then at that age, I thought this is just for not, this is not for, for the next generation. I always knew that like, in a way that what we were doing was like ahead of our time and it, it wouldn't benefit us basically. Right. So like I kind of reconciled, you know, like before there was David Bowie, there was like a guy that was David Bowie, like in a pub in London, like with makeup on and like, who was that guy? And right. then David Bowie became, so like, I'm that guy. I'm like the guy that what not David You're Bowie, the but prototype. I'm the guy that like, yeah. <laughs> right. So like Rose Gate, Adam and Steve, like I'm that, I'm that guy. So like I reconciled myself to that a long time ago and then, and so like, that does, I'm just used to that. This has been my story in my life, but I, but at the same time, sometimes, you know, one of the guys that like the David Bowie guys will throw a bone and be like, oh, there was that guy that was the David Bowie guy before me and they'll throw you a bone and like, thanks. And that's, that's what you get. That's, that's my role in life. But I, but I worry about them. The reason I worry about them is because I don't feel like they have a lot of like mentorship. And I, when I was younger, and coming out, like I, I was, I, Joan Woodward and Paul Newman were like my mentor. Joanne really was my mentor. Right, I remember reading and that in your bio. I just read so that she today. Was, oh, sweet. And there were, yeah. there were people like that. She was, she is like an incredible, had such an impact on me in terms of like shaping me as a young gay man, even though she was not gay, but she, she was like, you know, the one saying like, why do you have to be in the closet? Just, you know, be yourself. She, she expanded my, my, uh, she made me see myself in a way that I couldn't see myself because I, with my limited young person vision. And I worry that young people, young people don't have that. They're, they sort of are mentorless in a way because they're like on the, they can sort of Google something to get an answer. They don't really need to get it from someone older. And maybe every old gay, old person complains about this with the, the younger generation, but I really feel it with this generation. I feel like they need, there just isn't a lot of mentorship happening. The kind, the kind that I had when I was younger and with other gay men too, like older gay men who, who were older than me that like sort of, you know, showed me the ropes and helped me figure stuff out and, 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 and I could role model after and can model after. So that's, but I think it's, I think it's great. The more the merrier, like I'm, I'm super, super happy when I see anybody doing anything that's like, you know, 
where they can be um, successful and be themselves. Even Billy, the movie that Billy made, I'm super proud of him. And I think what, and just all of those actors in that movie that, that I think that the more the visibility, the better. And I, and I think the more visibility of people that aren't just like, you know, it used to be like the, this cliche was like the tortured gay guy. And now, and then it became like, now it's like the married guy with kids. And now we need a little bit more to like look at ourselves again, I think, and look at some of the, the, the darker stuff that we still have unresolved stuff we have to deal with. Um, and so that's, that's what I sort of see on the horizon, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> yeah. But I, but I, you know, I, I, I am, um, you know, these twinks nowadays too, they're really sophisticated. When you meet them, they're 18. They've always already had like, you know, crazy sex parties. They're so advanced compared to like what we were like. I mean, so I worry about like them burning out on stuff. Right, it's exactly. Just a, if you're you know, 20, if I'm on dirty Twitter sometimes and there's like an, a 19 year old putting a fire cone up his ass, I'm like, you're 19. Where do you go? What's next? A Hyundai? Like I know. Where do you where do you go from fire cone? It's all downhill. It's all downhill from fire cone. Craig, no, no, no. of all the guests I've ever had on this podcast, you have delivered more potential episode titles. Oh, sweet. It's a, well, sometimes there's just not a quote that jumps out. But with you, it's an embarrassment of riches. So I am quotable. Thank you, if anything. But I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Um, tell people about your screening. Uh, where they can see it, how they can see um, it. It's, it's, um, and I'm promoting it as a director. I'm not an actor promoting. This is not yeah. from SAG. I'm not scab. Um, the uh, the movie is playing at the Mary Pickford Theater in beautiful downtown Cathedral City, which is which is Palm Springs adjacent, and it's like a really state of the art, beautiful, like reclining seats, the whole thing theater. Um, that is very popular and gorgeous, and it's sort of like the deserts, like you know, El Capitan. And where um, do people yeah. can people learn about it? Is it like Eventbrite can, or something like that? Event, it's on Eventbrite. Right. Um, I'm not sure what the link is, but it's on Eventbrite. It's under the Filmmakers Gallery or um, Adam and Steve if they can put that in. Um, it's August 31st at six o'clock. There's a uh, reception, cocktail reception, and this movie at seven thirty. And uh, and then there's like um, a Q and A, of course, if if we're allowed to have it. Yeah. And I think I saw in one of your posts that Barry Manilow frequents the Mary Pickford. <laughs> Actually, I saw him at the IMAX theater. The which IMAX. Is not the theater. Oh, all right. Yeah, all right, all right. I saw him at the Oppenheimer. But he is he is about out and about. He's out and about. You know, I'm a I'm a fan of Lowe from way back from way back. Um, let me check no, my list and see okay. if I have anything that I did not ask you about. Okay. Um, your yoga technique in Adam and Steve is solid. Solid yoga technique. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, that was acting. I don't do yoga. That was acting. I thought the the it was it was good. It was good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you worked with dogs in that movie. Um, and you love I dogs. I love dogs. I never ha- when I made that movie, I had never had a dog. So I have, now I have a dog. I had all of it, but when I made it, I was still a cat person. So that was also acting. It was that was foreshadowing of my that own. It was life. foreshadowing. Um, before we wrap it up, is there anything that you would have liked to have talked about that I didn't ask you about? No, I think we're good. I mean, I we were talking. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad this I've happened. I'm so glad Me this too. happened. Me too. I Thank am you, happy Dennis. to be reconnecting with you. I'm happy at where you are. I guess this is my final question. What have you learned? Uh, I've learned. Um, hmm. I've learned to keep it simple. I've learned to uh, to be uh, become self reliant as a result of this. Um, and I've learned to like. Um, um, to not go on Facebook and share about my personal problems. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A little bit's okay. The, the trifecta, not. the trifecta of learning. <laughs> I think that's solid. Right. So, sure. well, there's exactly. 
talk of doing a mismatch game show in Palm Springs. Oh, cool. If that comes oh, together, I will reach out. Do you do any celebrities, or would you? Is there someone I, you would have a a take on that you have um, fun with? Oh, gee, because you uh, remember you used to do readings for me and stuff in New York. We did shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think about it. Who do I? Who would I get? Who could I? I'll have to think about what I get. Think about it. Get. If it comes together, I'll reach yeah. out and like. Okay. I give you the questions in advance so you can plan. You know, you can yeah. come up with ideas, and then you know, yeah, yeah. we just play at okay. Oscars potentially. Do you like that place? Yes, have Oscars. You been? I love Oscars. That's where I see Jackie's show. It's where that's like the cool place. That everything happens here. That's yeah. where it all happens. All right. Well, uh, we're going to try to make that happen that. as well. That would be fun. All right, Greg. Yeah. It was so fun to talk to you. Thank you so, so much for see doing you. this. So good to talk to you. And I Thank can't you. wait to see you in person sometime soon. Have a wonderful screening. Same. And Thanks, uh, honey. I'll I'll hopefully see you soon. Hold on for one more day. Hold on for one more day. <laughs> Things will go your way. That's, That's okay. what I learned. Oh, here, I have a That's funny story about this. I have a story about this. I interviewed Billy Baldwin back in the day for Movie Line Magazine, when, and he's still with China Phillips of Wilson Phillips. And I was oh. talking to him about how much I love that uh, song and that, that group, what a fan I was. And he goes, and he mentioned Hold On or whatever. And he goes, do you know what that song's about? And I was like, no, well, just holding on. And he's like, no, it's about recovery. It's about, I was like, oh, of course it is. That's, of course it is. Amazing. If that's, you listen that's to the- what I learned. It's, if I, if I learned anything, it was hold on for one more day. Cause I was completely hopeless. I'd given up and literally just like given up and, and hold on for one more day. Don't give up and keep going and ask for help. That's what I would say. That's, that's what, what I learned. So the Wilson Phillips thing brought us around to another yes, profound yes. moment. We still got it, Greg Chester. Synchronicity. Dream board. A dream board. All right, honey. (laughs) Bye. 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 Thanks again to Craig Chester. If you're in Palm Springs, go see the 18th anniversary screening of Adam and Steve, Craig's movie. You can learn about that at eventbrite.com. Just search for Adam and Steve. All right, so this happened. Um, Taylor Swift was in Los Angeles. Uh, She did six shows at the SoFi Stadium, and I wanted to go. And I did not pull it off. I did not make it happen. Um, Maybe because I got it up on my dream board really late. um, And it just didn't come together. But I saw a lot of clips of people that went. And I watched a lot of um, YouTube videos and such. And it looked like an amazing concert. And I haven't given up on the dream because the tour is ongoing. And she's doing some U.S. dates you know, in 2024, and I'm going to keep an eye on that stuff, and maybe there'll be more shows. I don't really know how you get into the system to buy tickets right when they go on sale. It's a whole thing that I have to study up on. Perhaps I'll get a millennial to help me with that. Um, If you have any tips, I welcome them, but I have not given up my dream of going. It's really kind of captured my imagination. I'm a fan uh, of her music. I got to interview her in 2010, um, for the Speak Now album, which she just re-released with the new recording. And I just, I've always liked her songs and I like what she's about. And I, I think her songs are so good as a songwriter. I just connect to them. I remember when Folklore came out during the pandemic and wearing that out. And there's something really moving about seeing the people at her concerts singing along and like they know every word and... I don't know. I think she makes people feel good. And there's just something about it. And I love that between Barbie and Taylor Swift, it's like women are crushing capitalism this summer. And it's and I'm here for it. I love it. And, you know, is it fun to see lots of people you know at the thing when you're not there and you don't have $1,000 burning a hole in your pocket? Sure. But I'm happy for them. I'm not bitter. 
Oh, and if they have boyfriends too and glittery eyeshadow, that's awesome. I'm thrilled. I have not given up my dream. And um, yeah, I almost just went down there to just kind of see what I could do. But I didn't. I didn't do it. But the good thing, there is an upshot. Here's the silver lining. After shopping online for Taylor Swift tickets, anytime you look at another show, it seems cheap by comparison. I went and looked at Beyonce tickets, you know, like half the price of what Taylor's were going for. So you're like, oh, that feels like a bargain. I might jump on that. Um, Anyway, so that's my story. If you have any Taylor tips for the future, let me know. I'm not giving up on the dream. Um, I want to thank AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. And my theme music is by Mark Daniels for placement music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.